Amen. Take your copy of God's Word. Open it, if you would, to Matthew chapter 7 this morning, please. Matthew chapter 7, and beginning in verse 1, I want to do an overview of what the message of 1 John really is. You know, John, the apostle, would have heard in person the very words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 7, verse 21, I really think this is what he's getting at when he describes to us the kingdom reality that is. There is always this tension throughout God's Word between profession and performance. Obviously, if you believe with your mouth the Lord Jesus and declare in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved with the heart man confesseth, or with the mouth confesseth unto righteousness, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Profession. But at the same time, there is a nature into which if your performance, the life that you live, the fruit of your life, does not match your profession, you really have to do a spiritual heart check. That's what John is saying. If there's something in your life that doesn't match up, what happens to your heart when you sin? Are you convicted? Does anything happen? He says, he that has the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son does not have life. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. If we say that we have no sins, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. And in Matthew 7, Jesus gives a very sober message to us when he says in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In his novel, A Painted House, John Grissom talks about a Sunday school teacher who is eulogizing a really mean person by the name of Jerry Sisko, who had been killed the night before in a back alley fight after he picked on one person too many. And in the words of the boy who had seen the fight with his friend, he said, this person made Jerry sound like a Christian, an innocent victim. I glanced at my friend who had one eye on me. There was something odd about this. He said, as Baptist, we'd been taught from the cradle that the only way you make it to heaven was by believing in Jesus and following his example and living out a clean and moral Christian life. And anyone who did not accept Jesus and live a Christian life simply went to hell. He said, that's where Jerry was. And we all knew it. I can't tell you how many funerals that I have attended where somebody has tried to preach someone into heaven. You know, you're supposed to give at a eulogy. There's a sense in which we're all living to the writing of our obituary. How will people remember us by? They tend to say the good things and leave out the bad. I remember one particular funeral that I had been asked to do. I'd gotten called to do it. Um, used to do funerals all the time for people that I didn't know. The funeral home would just call me um, in Kentucky and Indiana. And one day, this man who had overdosed, I remember the scene very well. It was not what you would call a quote-unquote church crowd. And going in there, all the family is upset. I remember at the end of the service, they had cremated him, and so the only thing that was left was an urn. And there were people on their hands and knees, down by the urn at the service, weeping over their son. Right before that service, the dad of this man, who was probably in his, in his 40s, the man who died from an overdose, 
pulls me aside. I've never met this man in my life. And he said, whatever you do, he said, you tell the truth. He said, don't you preach my boy into heaven. There's a sense in which we are all right now preparing how to die. You spend your whole life doing it. You spend your life getting good grades, trying to graduate, trying to get the promotion, trying to get the money, trying to have the family, all these other things, only to live at the end of the life where people will talk about you, maybe in a couple of paragraphs in a newspaper, and the only thing that will be left is the memories that others have of you. But the truth is that once you found out how to die, that's when you actually begin to live, and that's the whole narrative of Scripture's. Die to self, be alive in Christ. Because if you're prepared to die, that's when you'll be prepared to live. This is what Jesus calls us to do, to regularly take stock of our spiritual inventory, a spiritual heart check on where we are with God. Paul will say in Philippians chapter 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's not telling you to work for your salvation, but to work at your salvation, to understand, do I really know the one whom I profess? There's always this tension between profession and performance, because on the one hand, you can't trust in your profession alone. You have to examine the direction of your life. But on the other hand, you can't trust in your performance alone. You have to trust in Jesus as Savior, the giver of all mercy and grace. And so he reminds us not to trust in our profession. He talks about this great day of judgment that's coming, what is described as the great white bema throne of God. The only question that matters at that throne is, do you know Jesus? As opposed to the judgment seat of Christ, where we will be given an account of what we have done with what God has given to us. He says, not everyone who calls Jesus Lord knows him as Lord. And notice what he says. He says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So just as there are always wolves disguised as sheep, even within the church, so there will also be goats parading as sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and they know me, and I know them. The goats do not. It's possible to know a lot about God and not truly know God. Someone said, we have said that the false prophets here do not know Jesus, but more to the point, Jesus does not know them because the Lord knows those who are his. And I don't know about you, Brother Jerry, my greatest fear in preaching and in ministry is that many of us may be trusting in a prayer that we've prayed rather in the one to whom we prayed. He says very clearly, many on the day of judgment, will think that they're saved and will not be saved. And friends, I don't say that to scare you at all, but rather to warn you to constantly check up. Do I truly know the one I profess? The word missing today throughout every circle, Christian, quote-unquote Christian circles, and not, is repent. Understand that Jesus doesn't simply save you from hell. It's not a get out of hell free card. Jesus saves you from your sin. And the only way that he saves you from your sin is if you repent of your sin and believe. It's not just a prayer that I pray. It's not just words that I repeat. Can someone get saved by praying the sinner's prayer? Absolutely. 
but it's the one to whom we pray that makes the difference. The gospel commands us to repent and believe. Listen to what Jesus said. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. He that believes on him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already. And the primary command in Jesus' teaching will always be repent for the kingdom of heaven at hand, is at hand. And so when Jesus says, depart from me, he's talking to people who never really knew Jesus. Now, if you're a Baptist or you've grown up in church, you've heard this phrase. Raise your hand if you've heard this phrase. Once saved, always saved. You heard that phrase? And we believe that, right? Because Jesus is the one who does the keeping. That is, once you have salvation in Christ, it is not yours to keep. Jesus keeps it on your behalf. If you could lose your salvation, you would lose your salvation because we have a fallen nature. But once you come into the kingdom, Jesus says, "He, no man can pluck them out of my hand. So the question is, not once saved, always saved, but have you truly been saved in the first place? You know, I've heard of people who are atheists now, who say, well, if God is real, then they're going to be okay based on the prayer that they prayed as children. That's what they'll say. They say, I don't believe that anymore, but hey, I prayed the prayer, so either way, I've got insurance. That's not the way it works. If you don't maintain your confession, he says, your salvation may have been counterfeit. Remember the words of Scripture. They went out from us. Why? because they were not of us. You know, salvation is not a one-time prayer that you forget about it. It can happen at a moment of prayer, but it's a confession involving repentance and faith that is there for the rest of your life. Now, that doesn't mean you won't mess up. That doesn't mean you might not have times of doubt, but it means at the end, there is something constantly drawing me back to Jesus because he's in my heart and the Holy Spirit influences my life my greatest fear as a pastor is that those who sit under my preaching and know the gospel could still fail to enter into God's rest last night I had the opportunity to be the the jailer for underground church let me tell you I was a mean jailer none of the kids know about Andy Griffith or Barney Fife but I ran that playground like the rock last night I said you know this is a jailhouse have some respect. I was trying to put the fear of God into them. They weren't really all that scared. But one of the questions that I had to ask them is, why are you here? And they were supposed to say, because we're being persecuted for our faith, just as many are around the world, and people have called us, but we're still going to worship God. And one of the things that I wanted to hear out of each of them, one-on-one, is can you tell me what the gospel is? Got a lot of different answers. Most of them got it right. But the gospel is the good news that Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins and that he rose again on the third day so that whosoever would repent of sin and turn to him might have everlasting life. It's not just asking Jesus into your heart, although that's a big part of it. It's turning from your sin and believing in Jesus and asking him into your heart. And lest you think that this could never happen to you, that Jesus would never say these words. Judas preached, performed miracles, cast out demons, and walked with Jesus for three years, but he did not know Jesus. I'm not trying to scare you, 
just trying to remind us it is always important to do a spiritual heart check. Am I really trusting in Jesus as Lord? Don't trust in your profession, but at the same time, don't trust in your performance. He says there will be many, many good, moral people who will end up in hell. And I would argue that the most difficult person to win to Christ will always be a moral person because they don't think they need forgiveness. They don't think they need help. They're ultimately banking on the fact that they believe their good will outweigh their bad. And yet the scripture tells us our righteousness is as filthy rags. They'll say very familiar questions. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And did we not do many mighty works in your name? Let's translate it to the modern church. Lord, did we not teach a Sunday school class? Did we not put money in the offering blade? Did we not try to live a moral life? Lord, do you not know who I am? But they're asking the wrong questions because they're using the wrong qualifications for admissions. They've deceived themselves into believing they deserved a good end. They've substituted good works for the righteousness of Christ. It happens to prophets. Even truth in what the prophets say doesn't qualify their hearts. It happens to demons. Even those without God attempt to exercise. In Acts, one says, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? It happens with miracles. Even the priest of Pharaoh did that. I think about that story that Jesus shares of Lazarus and that rich man and the response from heaven when he says, go and tell my brother so they won't go here. What does he say? If they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they hear my voice. The one rise from the dead. Have you ever noticed something in your own life? I've noticed it in my life. People rarely get outraged by their own sin. It just doesn't happen very often. Most of the time, we get mad at other people because they sin differently than we do, don't we? And yet, I don't ever want to rest in my work as a pastor. You know, as fulfilling as that is, as the calling that God has placed in my life, I'm so thankful for it. It's so rewarding. I'm so unworthy. And yet, I don't ever want to rest in the work that I've done on God's behalf as if that will ever be enough. Because friends, whatever you've done, you may be the nicest person on the face of the earth. You may have given more than anybody else. You may have helped more than everybody else. But anybody who thinks they deserve to go to heaven isn't going there. The only people who get in are the ones who know they're sinners saved by grace. One person put it this way, the enemy one of whom's name in Scripture is the deceiver, talking of Satan, loves to keep truly saved believers unsure of their salvation because he knows that if he does, they'll never experience the freedom, joy, and confidence that God wants them to have. But he also loves to keep those on their way to hell deluded into thinking they're on their way to heaven, their consciences immunized from Jesus' pleas to repent. You know what the irony is of salvation? Most of the time, I don't want to say this 100% of the time, most of the time, if someone is doubting whether or not they truly know God, asking that question, do I know God? In most cases, they do know God because you can't doubt what you didn't have before, what you haven't once had. Most of the time, the people that this is speaking to, the people who are not truly saved, never think twice about it. I've prayed a prayer. I've walked an aisle. 
it's done. And so sometimes doubt in your heart can actually be a good thing, an indicator that you are a believer. D.L. Moody was once asked that question. A lady came up to him after the service, that famous evangelist who had won a million people to faith in Christ. She came up to him and she said, Mr. Moody, I have something I want to tell you about. I rejoice in this. And he said, what's that? She said, I have never once doubted my salvation. To which Moody responded to her, ma'am, I doubt that you were saved. Doubts are there. They check us. The question is, for those of us who never do a spiritual heart check, do we truly know God? So we can't trust in our profession. We can't trust in our performance. Here's what we have to do. We have to trust in Jesus. And you can't truly follow Christ unless you know him. Who's the one that enters into the kingdom? The one who does the will of the Father in heaven. Faith will always be measured by obedience because John writes, if you love him, you keep his commandments. Those without God cannot love God and therefore cannot keep his commandments. But for those who are in Christ, his commandments are not burdensome because his yoke is easy and his burdens light. Remember the two sons commanded to work in the vineyard. They were both told to do something. One said, Father, I'll do it. Didn't do a thing. The other complained about it, but went out and did it. Who's the one who was truly a child? Good intentions won't get you to God. Only saving faith will. And the evidence of faith, not the cause of faith, but the evidence of faith is our obedience. It's what the scripture describes as fruit consistent with repentance. Jesus will say himself in Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, Why do you call me Lord Lord, and don't do the things I say. I know what it means to be church hurt. The church is the greatest organization on the face of the earth because Jesus is the power source, and yet it can also be one of the most hurtful organizations on the face of the earth. I get that. I really, truly do. But for someone who doesn't have a desire to be in God's house, that doesn't mean you don't go through seasons. That doesn't mean you don't have times where it's just tough. But if you don't have that desire to be with God's people, you really have to ask yourself, do I truly know God? Am I truly saved? Martin Luther said this years ago, next Sunday is Reformation Sunday, by the way. Everybody else is talking about Halloween. Martin Luther, October 31st, 1517, 95 Theses. He says this, Thus speaketh Christ our Lord to us, you call me master and obey me not. You call me light and see me not. You call me the way and walk me not. You call me life and live me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. If I condemn thee, blame me not. When you think that you can simply throw your commitment to God outside the door and still enter into his kingdom, you deceive yourself. See, all of us want part of the gospel. We want the part that appeals to us. We want heaven and streets of gold and all your sins forgiven. You get a clean debt. We just don't want all of it, which says all who suffer in Christ Jesus will have persecution. A lot of us want to experience that resurrection power, but do we want to truly experience the fellowship of his sufferings? 
He tells us that our walk speaks much louder than our talk. These false professors, they talk with their lips, but not with their life. He says, let everyone who proclaims the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So these people, they sing the songs, they recite the creeds, they even read the book, but they don't know the author. And Jesus says, I never knew you. So it isn't as if they lost their salvation. They never had it to begin with. And so what's the most important thing we can take away from this room in our lives? Simply how to be saved. Have I done this? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Paul looks at the men of Athens who are gathered around worshiping all these other gods and he points them to the unknown God who can save to the uttermost those who come to the Father but by them. You have that parable of the soils that Jesus tells where some hear the word and some fall away. So the true test of salvation is whether or not you have a faith that lasts. My pastor used to say, a faith that fizzles before the finish had a fatal flaw before the first. The question isn't, what did I do all those years ago? Although I may have made a true commitment. The question is, what am I doing now? Am I trusting in my good works? Am I trusting in my profession? Or am I trusting in Jesus and I just say this, I'm preaching to the choir, I know today, faith is impossible to live out from the local church. Jesus has created his body to help us live it out. And so here's some assessment questions I want us to think through over the next few minutes. Number one, how do you respond after you sin? What happens? Is your heart hardened? Do you have a desire to repent? Does somebody come to you if you won't listen? How do you respond to that? Do you forgive? Do you have a desire to be in his house and in his word and among his people? You know, we had an old evangelist that used to come every year to Glendale back in the day. He was a well-known man from the radio Bible hour. His name was J. Harold Smith. And even into his 90s, he would come to preach this sermon, this series of sermons called God's Three Deadlines. And I'm going to tell you, every time he preached one of those sermons, I got saved just in case. You know what I mean? And so did, so did some of you because we were wondering, do I truly know God? It, it was powerful. But the question for us is not that you need to get saved over and over again. That's not Scripture. What you need to do is examine your heart and say, do I truly know the Lord in the first place? It isn't just enough to hear God's voice. I also have to obey it. I have to listen to it. Don't trust in your profession. Don't trust in your performance. Trust in Jesus would you bow your heads with me for just a few moments this morning? I'm going to ask our musicians to come and be ready to sing our invitation song. I just want you to consider in these last few moments before our service comes to a conclusion, the question, you may have been in church all of your life. You may know all the songs. You may be the fastest person in sword drills. You may have faithfully tithed your whole life. You've come, you've witnessed, perhaps you've even, from the Bible, led other people to faith in Christ. All of that is wonderful and good, and we're thankful. But that's not the question before us today. The question is, do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior? And the overarching question on the judgment day, does Jesus know you? It's not going to happen, friends, simply because of your profession. Mere words aren't enough. It's not going to happen simply because of your performance. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. The only thing we can take with us 
is to trust in Jesus, to turn from our sin, and place our faith in Christ. So I'm just going to ask you this morning, if you're unsure about whether that's true, I have good news for you. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Maybe you've gone away from the Lord and you're just wondering, can I be drawn back in? Well, yes, you can. That's the Holy Spirit speaking in your life. Maybe you have a loved one that you're concerned about and you say they've, they've prayed a prayer, they say they're saved, but I, I just don't see any evidence in their lives. Pray that God would convict their hearts and give you an opportunity so that they might do a spiritual assessment. Friends, here's the truth of the matter. There's only two people who know whether you truly know God, and that's you and God. The Lord says, I will not forsake anyone who comes to the Father. He knows who are his own. Would you just say right now, Lord, I'm yours. Father, I pray right now that as we receive this message, this wouldn't simply be something to put fear into our heart or to cause us to be troubled. But I pray for believers, it would rather cause us to be comforted that we're not trusting in a profession or in a performance. We're, we're trusting in Jesus, who is mighty to save. I pray for someone here that doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. May today be the day where they can come and get that nailed down and get that settled, that they know Jesus Christ, the righteous. Have your way. Help us to tell a world in desperate need. In Jesus' name, amen.